Welcome to the Epiphany Movement podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drake Nelson and is a continuation of the series, Chain Breakers. Hey everybody, thank you all for tuning in to the Epiphany Movement Podcast. Today's sermon is a little bit different. It actually didn't pick up on our soundboard, but I couldn't stop myself from at least releasing what we have. So we picked up in the middle of the sermon where it is talking about David and David's life before he built a temple. All I'm doing right now is building the context in which David finally got to build the temple, or at least so he was thinking. And so join us, and we'll pick up with a sermon. Thank y'all so much. Have a good day. At the finale of 1 Samuel, near what you have happening, you have the Philistines coming up against the Israelites who are led by Saul, and the Philistines led by their king. But where does David fit in? David, since he's made friends, is actually about to fight on the side of the Philistines. He's like, yeah, I'm fighting with you. But understandably so, the Philistine king is like, you're not fighting with me, buddy. You're, you may backstab me, you may kill everybody. You're like, no, get on out of here. So David throws a temper tantrum. He gets angry. Kim and his 400 mighty men decide, you know what, we out of here. They leave, but when they get back to their cave, they discover something. And that is, is that everything was stolen. All their wives, all their children, all their possessions, all of it had been taken by raiders. And so now David just begins to weep. And his 400 mighty men that he was carrying start to get angry at David. They're like, hey, this is your fault, David. You wanted us to go. You wanted us to fight. We're about to kill you instead. David says, no, no, no. This is a bad idea. Let's go get let's go get our stuff. And so they say, okay, let, let, let's try. David carries them to the raiders, finds them, gets all the wife, all the possessions, all the children, gets everything back. The 400 men start to jump up and down, super jubilant, and now they are so excited because what they're about to do now, instead of killing David, I can read. Okay, that was my first breath since we started this sermon. But now... David can take a breath. And now they're about to elevate David to the king. But something crazy happens. When all of this was happening, Philistine and Israel was going to war. And adding that war, guess who died? Saul. And David's best friend, who was also Saul's son, Jonathan, both died in the war. And then... First Samuel ends on that cliffhanger. Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next season? What's going to happen on, the, on season two of the life of King David? We don't know. And then several years later, Second Samuel is written, and they flip open the page, and you know how it reads? How it begins, starts off by reading? You think, David, he's triumphant. He's going to be elevated to king. No, it opens, and it says that David began to mourn Saul. And as David was mourning, the people were like, what's going on? Why is he crying? And this one poor fellow, he comes up with jubilant 
joy and glee. He says, David, David, Saul has died. Jonathan's dead. You're next in line to be king. And David says, somebody kill that dude. This is a sad, sad moment. And so now, as David is mourning, everybody's like, hey, why's this guy? Why, why, why is he crying? This crazy thing happens, and Israel gets a puppet king. And so he rises up, and the puppet king of Israel, he has his right-hand man is a dude named, uh, what, what, what was his name? Abner, I think is what it is. Uh, let's see, I wrote it down right here. Yes, Abner. And then David's right-hand man is a new dude named Joab. So you have David, who's about to rise to power, his right-hand man being Joab. Then you have this puppet king of Israel, who's actually... In the office right now, his right-hand man being a dude named Abner. And Abner and Joab, both of their right-hand mans, decide, you know what? We're about to get together, and we'll have a little field day. We'll just do some trials, play some games, and I'll be running good. We'll see whose right-hand man is better. But the games, sometimes how they actually do. Have y'all ever been playing backyard football, JB? And it starts off as, like, it's just a game, and then... You know, they score like three or four more touchdowns or do something, and then it becomes like, no, this is not a game. This is serious. You just like, you just like, I'm coming at you, bro. And then like, there's a fight, and then it never really meant to be a fight, but it was just fun. Now it's a fight. That's exactly what's happening right now. And so now, Abner and Joab are going at it. It was just meant to be a little game. They're about to fight, and Joab's brother steps in. He says, whoa, 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 now. Don't worry, Joab. I'll go get Abner. So now his brother, he's chasing Abner. And as he's chasing Abner, Abner's like, bro, quit chasing me. If you keep chasing me, I'm about to kill you. Just leave me alone, man. Just leave me alone. He goes on. And Joab's brother keeps chasing him. So he said, okay, you know what? I know you. And stabs him. And Joab's brother dies. So Abner goes back to the public king. Joab, who has just lost his brother, goes back to David. But when Abner gets back to the public king, the public king accuses Abner of sleeping with his wife. So Abner, understandably so, gets really upset. He says, you know what? Peace out. I'm about to go have your enemy. I'm about to go have David. He goes to David. He says, David, this is what the public king just said. What's up? What's going on with you? I want to help you. So they go eat a wonderful meal together. And as they're eating and talking about the strategy, guess who walks in? Joab walks in. So when Joab walks in, he says, David, you're eating with him? And so Abner comes over to Joab, and Joab thinks one better. He gets a dagger out of his pocket and stabs him. So now Abner's dead. Joab's in here. I'm the victory. Revenge for my brother. And now David has all Saul, Jonathan, Joab's brother, and Abner all in a short period of time. <sighs> That's a lot of stuff that's happened. And now the puppet king dies. Somebody kills him too. And David is still just weeping. And the people look at David and they say, you know what? We want a king who feels. We want a king who loves us, who is sad when someone dies. We want a king who is right with God. Let's make David our king. And so the people all together elect David as king. So he comes up. 
And now he has a kingly rule, but now what? Just because he's king doesn't mean anything. He has to um, bring people in to him to close and establish governments, establish reigns, establish uh, some kind of infrastructure to rule his system. He brings all the people he trust. He pushes away all the people who are against him. And then he says, you know what? we got to conquer the Philistines. So he starts to conquer this city, that city. Conquer, conquer, conquer. He conquers. He gets all of his land back that's Israel. Now he sits back to that. I built a kingdom. I built my government. I I fought, fought the Philistines off, and now he just slays back, and he says, ah, that was a lot of brother. That was a lot. It took me a long time to read all that and figure it all out so I can explain it to you. So I don't know if you like got, got that, but a lot has just happened. And now David says, finally, I'm done. I can relax. Have you ever been there? At the end of a million mile to the list, and you finally just sit down at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and you're like, I can finally relax. So David sits there. He says, well, what do I do here in my second term? And he says, you know what I want to do? I just want to build a temple. I, just, I, have this law, I have this beautiful cedar mansion that I have. I want to build Christ a temple. And so he sets out to build a temple. Now hear me now, young people. It's never a bad idea to follow what God has put in your heart. If you don't know where God is specifically pointing to, that's why I tell young people all the time, go wherever God is putting your heart. That's what David did. So David begins to make all these plans, but then Nathan comes and, Nathan comes and says, hey, look, you're not going to be the one to build the temple. Actually, the one that's going to build my temple is going to be your son, a dude named Solomon. So David takes all of his plans that he's, you know, made. This is all my notes, so this is going to be really sad. But he's like, ah, ah, right? He rips them off. No, he doesn't, actually. He keeps on making plans. And he says, I'm going to give this to Solomon. And so he brings all the wood from Lebanon and all the gold from Egypt and all the silver and all the plans and the foundation has already been laid and he gives it to Solomon. But David's plans shook in a minute. But it, he did not crumble. Now I wonder, when your plans shake, do you crumble? When your plans shake, do you crumble? I just imagine Billy Graham, Mr. Bill. Bill and Billy Graham. I just imagined him. All he wanted to do, Mr. Bill, was to go live in the military. He just wanted to be a chaplain. And so he went and he applied for the military. I want to be a chaplain. Yeah, very good. They took his weight. You're not heavy enough. You're not solid enough. You can't be in the military. He says, okay, I'll find up. Goes again. He says, you're still not heavy enough, bro. You're not in good enough condition. You can go come one more time. So he leaves now the third time and says, I'm about to eat 15 meals a day. I'll be so overweight that they can't help but take me. Now he bolts up and gets bigger. He's finally up enough weight, and when he goes to try to apply for the chaplaincy position, do you know what he catches? Monks! <laughs> I could just hear his prayer that night, Miss Amy. God, all I want to do is be a chaplain! But God had better plans. But God had better plans. And it's easy. Hear me now. This is monumental. It's easy to shout and give praise to shout and give God over the finished product of what Billy Graham was, but you know how hard it is to shout at nothing? That's hard. Shout at nothing. When all your plans fall through, then give praise. That's hard. 
reminds me of Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers got moved to Egypt, the middle of nowhere. Do you know how some people have the, uh, the, the, the letters that stand for in the middle of nowhere, Egypt? You know what I'm talking about? You know where that came from? It actually came from Oswald Chambers. Because he moved, he didn't like coin it or anything, but they said about him that he moved to, to, to Egypt in the middle of nowhere. And all he wanted to do was to start a seminary. So he began to teach, not in the United States, but he began to teach just anybody who listened. In Egypt, he taught his children for a year. In two years or three years, he just taught children. And his wife went around with him and took all, took all the notes. And at age 43, Oswald Chamber died. Never started a seminary, never did anything. But his wife took all the collection of notes that she had taken. And do you know what she made? Of all those notes, one of the most selling books ever, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Have any of you ever read the book? It's a devotional. But it starts when your plans fall. It started when your plans all gone. Plans all gone. But what happens when your plan crumbles? Will you rise up or will you not? And so now Solomon builds the temple. The day that it's heading, he begins to build this temple. And prophet after prophet, after the temple is built, said, hey, look, if y'all don't change y'all's ways, something's about to give. How many mamas can say that in the room? Uh, anybody? Hey, if you, sweetheart, if you don't change your attitude, something's going to give. You ain't going to be married. Ain't no, you ain't going to have a friend. Nobody's going to like you. If something don't change, honey, um, you're going to be sleeping on the couch tonight if something don't change. If something don't change, prophet after prophet after prophet has told the people something's got to give, and it never does. So actually, several years later, after Solomon had already died, it happened. And Babylon came, and they took over the Israelite nation. And not only did they destroy the temple, get what they did, they took all the gold, all the silver, <coughs> They had so much gold that they made the wash tub into gold. That's a lot of gold. They took it all. Took it all the silver, all everything. And then they destroyed it. I was thinking of a word that just like when a crane just comes and crashes down or something, you know? That's what happened to the temple. And for 70 years, the people lived in Babylon. Daniel, the great example. And after 70 years, the people finally get to come back. Finally get to come back. And now we're ready for the scripture. I'll give you the background. Now we're ready for the scripture. The people standing on the edge of what looks like rubble in an old temple after 70 years in captivity now stand in Israel. And it's in Haggai chapter 2. And if you're wondering how you get to Haggai, go to your New Testament. Go to your New Testament and then go to your left. It's one of the last books in the Old Testament. Very small book. Very small book. Let's see. I think you're going to go three books to your left, I believe. Yes. Three books to your left. Haggai. Chapter 2. And Starts off by saying this, verse 1. Then, on October the 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message through, through the prophet Haggai. 
Now, I used to, I'd just skip over this. Um, Kat, do you remember, like, when I was just beginning to teach, you would always tell me, like, honey, slow down, and don't go to, like, you know, the main points of that. It's just kind of, you skip so much, just kind of, just kind of, you know, give us some, some, some more substance and meat. And used to, I would skip over this, but I learned a thing or two, and it says, but it came through Haggai. That is simply to say this, is that God works through us. God works through things. You know, some people, Mr. Carl, try to tell us, or try to tell me anyways, you know, if you, if, if you need counseling, you shouldn't go to counseling. Just let the Holy Spirit work for you. Well, I don't hear them saying, like, you know, if you need to fly, don't take, don't take Delta. Just let the Holy Spirit work for you, son. Like, you know, that's, that God uses stuff, right? He'll use counseling, premarital counseling. He'll use postmarital counseling. He'll use whatever comes in his life, in our life. He used drill. I'll give you this example. Do you remember when me and you went to take the shoeboxes to that uh, Bethlehem? And we went to Bethlehem, and we went there. We was pumped up about our 40 boxes. And then we walked in, and we, they said, how many do you have? And we said, we got 40 boxes. And they said, oh, okay, well, you can put it over here. Okay. I said, well, how many do you have? They said, 414. <laughs> I said, okay. We was like, we're going to leave our boxes and go. And this older woman, she walks out from the back, and, and she's somehow related to Griff. I still have to figure it out. Everybody related to Griff. Y'all know that. And so she walks out, and she says, honey, 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 don't you overlook the small she says, God uses every single one of those boxes to touch somebody's life. I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, no, he doesn't. Y'all look so much alike. Oh, that's, that's, y'all look a lot alike. Look over here now. Can I dare you to get me a box, a shoe box for Christmas? I'm going to be sad. You're going to be sleeping on the couch if that's all you get me. You know what I mean? Like, if that's what you used to give me for Christmas, a little, a little box of just, I'll probably be sad. But it makes some people's year. It makes, it's the best Christmas present. Why? Because what comes inside of it is a Bible. And that Bible has the effect to change somebody's life. And they read it. And maybe they got a Barbie doll. And maybe they got a crayon. And they open it up. And they begin to read the Bible. And it changes people's lives. But God didn't come down himself and say, hey, here's the shoebox. No. He worked through us, didn't he, Grill? He worked through you. He worked through Grill. He worked through us so that we could come together and give what we could to our organization. Why? So that God can use that. God works through us. But then this is what it says. Verse 2. Say this to Zerubbabel. I love how his name is Zerubbabel. But they're surrounded by rubble everywhere. Exactly what they're looking at. Son of Tealti, governor of Judah, of Jeshua, son of Zodiac, the high priest, and the remnant, and the remnant, and the remnant of God's people there in the land. He says, does anybody remember this house, this temple, and its former splendor? He's basically saying, look at it now. It's just rubble. But does anybody remember what it used to be? Does anybody remember what it used to be? It must seem like nothing at all, huh? And so now everybody gets depressed. They're like, yeah, this stinks. This is nothing. But now... But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, 
Lee. Be strong, Cat. Be strong, Miss Amy. Be strong, Mr. John. Be strong, Mr. Will. He said, be strong. You might have been weak last three weeks. You might have been weak last night. You might have been weak a, a year ago. You might not used to pray. You might not used to read. You may have felt temptation. You may have, you may have been weak and not even asked for repentance. But he says, but now. It's Thanksgiving Sunday. But now. It's Sunday. Be strong. Be strong. Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So not, so do not be afraid. Let me speak to the to the to the young people in here really quick in here. You can you've got to quit comparing yourself to other people. It will kill you. Because we look at our foundation and judge it to other people's finishes. What we go on day-to-day -day life over what people, other people post on Instagram and it's killing us. Let me get, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Marley was showing me something on Instagram the other day. She said, oh my gosh, look at this girl. Isn't she so pretty? I didn't even look. I said, anybody can be pretty on Instagram. It's true. I mean, social media can make anybody look good. And so in comparison, we feel like we're failing. If you keep comparing yourself, other people is going to kill you, but it's not only the young among us, is it? <coughs> now let me speak to everybody really quick. Y'all, we can't compare how it used to be. You hear this in the text? Look at what it used. We can't. We can't compare. Seventy years ago it was so much better. Thirty years ago it was so much better. Twenty years ago it was so much better. To compare it to what it used to be, not what it is today. Let me tell you, our church has a lot to grow. We got a lot that we got to change. I'm so happy. I am so happy, y'all. I can't tell you how many people have called me this week or the last couple of days and asked, Trey, are you okay moving out of the house? Or is there anything that we can do? Or you don't have to move out? Or they, I'm so, me and Kat both are so thankful because y'all have been checking on us, making sure that we're okay, that we have everything that we need. I mean, for goodness sake, you brought us in the entire, like, like, okay, this right here is how full our pantry is, right? And like, now it's like that much no problem. I mean, that, that's, we are so thankful that, that, that y'all think like that. that. I mean, Mr. Brown, how many times have you asked have you asked us, hey, are y'all okay? Are you okay? Just call me. Are you okay? I'm so thankful for you all who just call and ask. Uh, and and th thank you. But I promise y'all that me and Kat are okay. We, we went tanning the other day, and it was 32 degrees. We're, we'll, we'll live anywhere. We're fine. We are fine. And we're not worried about it. Whatever happens, just it's, it, it, we're fine. But I'll tell you what keeps us up at night. I'll tell you what we are concerned about, y'all. We are concerned not about our house, but about this house. We are concerned that this house isn't moving forward like God wants it to. We are concerned that God's glory here is not going to come like we want it to. We are concerned about this house and keeping
gold's going to leave. The silver's going to leave. But its future glory is going to be greater than its former glory. Why? Because I will come into this place. That's what the text says. And I'm telling you that that's the same thing that God can be saying to this church today. Our future glory will be better than where we come from. Why? Because God's glory is coming here. Because God's glory is coming here through you. The text is funny because sometimes it's not chronologically. And you can look at Haggai somehow. You can see how Haggai is at the very bottom. But then if you flip a lot, Mr. Will, you'll get to this one place called Ezra. And Ezra's at the more or less the beginning of the Bible. And you think, like, chronologically, Ezra should be become before Haggai, but it's actually not, time, like, chronologically in time. Haggai must be before Ezra. And so Ezra picks up on the story in chapter 3, and here's what it says. Ezra, when he picks up, he says, The construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year, after they thrived in Jerusalem. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel, son of Kealtu, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, and his fellow priests, and all the Levites. The Levites were 20 years old or older. They were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. The workers at the temple of God were supervised by Jeshua with his sons and his relatives, Kadami, or Kadamah. And his sons and his descendants of Hogadah, they were, I heard you say, hey, Todd, they were helped in this task by the Levites of the family of Hanadah. Now get this, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord, when it's all done, when the foundation had been laid of the new temple, the priests put on their robes. And they took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites' descendants of Asaph clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. And when this scripture is being read over me in my life, um, Mr. David and Leanne, Mr. David and Leanne, Mr. David and Leanne, Mr. David and Mr. Leanne. There you are. Hey, Mr. David. Hey, Mr. Leanne. When I was running to y'all's house the other day, I was coming to get the Jeep, and I was listening to this scripture being read over me. And when I'm running, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, this is my life, you know? Because the other day, I was going to the walk-in right beside Costco's restaurant, and I sat here, and Kat sat here, my mom and my sister sat here, my mom looked at me, and she said, how's the church life going? And I looked at her, I didn't say anything, I just kind of looked at the ground, and I was like, I, I did not say anything. And Kat said, that's a sore subject right now, Miss Christie. For me. Mom was concerned, and I didn't say anything. And she said, Yes, ma'am, it's not growing the way that he thinks that it, it could or should. And there was this awkward silence kind of there. And that awkward silence had been inside me for so long. Because in my soul, I'm sitting here and I'm wrestling. And God was dealing this with me when I was running to read, letting this be read over me. Because I look at so many empty seats. So many red, so much red in here. 
And I've been asking God, like, like, am I really the right one for this job? You know? Maybe somebody else can grow way better. Am I really the right one? I mean, what's going on, God? And I've been crying about that and praying about this. And, and to add to that, not only has my relationship, I feel like I'm failing at like my job side, but my relationship with God. You read so much and you become a pastor so long that it just becomes mundane. It's like I'm just ready to prepare a sermon or ready for, to, to, to do our study about Revelation. Or I'm, I'm, I'm reading not because I want God to speak to me, but I'm reading just because it's my job. And I feel like I'm growing farther from God and I don't know why. I feel like I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to be close to God. But I feel like the longer that I've been a pastor, the, 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 the farther that I've gone from God. And so I'm wrestling with this on the inside, and I'm saying, well, maybe somebody else should come in and do a better job than I could. And I asked Kat, I said, well, I mean, what's going on, Kat? Do you see this? And she looked at me, and with just the best job, she said, look, keep on, like, like you're just starting. It's okay, Drake. You're not supposed to be perfect. And, and I still wrestled with it, and when I was trying, Mr. David, to your house, I felt like God impressed on me. If you focus on who's left and what you've lost, you will never see who's lost and what's left. Do you remember, Drake, the guy who would say, all I need is a microphone and a video camera? Do you remember the guy who said, I don't define success by how many people come, but how devoted you are to me? That's still who you are. That's still how you should define success. And if you don't stop looking at what's lost or where you wish you were, then you will absolutely miss the people who are here. So be thankful for the remnant. Do you see this in the text? For the remnant. And God was speaking to me, and I'm speaking to you now. Be thankful for what you do have. Be thankful for your remnant. I know you can cry about A, but thank God for B, because everybody in their life has something that they can say thank you, God, for. Everybody has something in their life to say, why did you send this, God? But in the middle of the text, in the middle of our life, we have an opportunity, especially on today, to say, you know what? Thank you, God, for the remnant that you have given to me. And that's what God's been working in my life. And that's where he's been leading me. And I asked God to pray. I asked, I, I asked Kat to pray to God for me while I was up here because I was a little unsure where I was going to end. But I'm just going to end it and I'm going to be completely honest with y'all. And you're not going to like the ending. But here's how it ended. Verse 12 it says this. Verse 11, it ends with this. It says, with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. And they said, he is good and he is faithful. How many of you know that God is good? How many of you know that God is faithful and his love to Israel endures forever? And how many of us can say the love of the Lord endures forever? And then all the people, not just some, but all the people gave a great, a great, a great, a great shout praising the Lord because of the foundation of the Lord's temple. 
first place, but I'm serious. If God has changed your life, if you're thankful for what God has done in here, if you're thankful for who God is, stand up and give God some praise. Stand up and tell God, thank you, God, that I'm here.